To paraphrase Gene Siskel, this film easily could have focused exclusively on yuppie parents and their kids. However, the script is more sophisticated than that, remembering that every parent is still a child too. Roger Ebert says it's the best kind of comedy, where we recognize the truth of what's happening even while we're smiling, and where we eventually acknowledge that there is a truth in comedy that serious drama never can quite reach. And Letterboxd user Bradley J. Dixon says it holds up despite Ben Shapiro levels of heteronormativity. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of parenthood. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to a very special episode of Ruined Childhoods. This is one of those episodes where we say, I can't believe it's taken us 164, 165 episodes to do this movie. We are talking about Parenthood, which is one of our favorites. A, arguably. Uh, a common a common favorite, yeah, um, that John and I have talked about. N- not uh, We've probably talked enough about it in the past to fill an entire, entire season of podcasts and <laughs> uh and but it's it's been a while and uh, i'm excited to be talking today about uh 1989's parenthood that's right and you know we are uh we are in a time when this movie is even more relevant for dan who just welcomed a new baby boy into his family so uh that is very exciting and this is a movie that's all about Oh, family life and being a parent and being a child and having parents and complicated relationships and all sorts of stuff. It, it covers a lot of ground. Yeah. It in, covers, a, in a just over two hour running time. Uh, right. Which is uh, probably which probably makes it good that uh, there were six seasons of a very successful parenthood spinoff television show. And uh, I mean... The 2010 one, the 1991, uh, only made it 12 episodes, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But introduced the world to a young Leonardo DiCaprio, did it, it not? It sure did. It sure Pre-growing did. Pre-growing pains. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and and reintroduced the world, of course, to Ed Begley Jr. Ah, uh, uh, Ed Begley Jr. So, but but anyway, so going back, uh, first of all, John, anything, any one more things? I thought, by the way, okay. I just have to say, I, I had a lot of fun doing our little our our little April specials our music video episodes you know even even and I got to say I even like you know just for those moments and and watching the videos you know definitely I would say my appreciation of Aerosmith probably gained a bit uh in watching those so I, that was a great idea it was a lot of fun well Dan I got to tell you I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with Aerosmith because the other night I had a hard time falling asleep because I had a very particular part of the Aerosmith song Amazing stuck in my head, where it goes into like the the bridge or whatever, and it's just all Steven Tyler like scatting, and it leads up to him going, and 
I, he's just kind of muttering nonsense and it was stuck. The entire thing was stuck in my head. And Dan, let me tell you, if that entire sequence is in your head, you can't sleep. If you ever uh, think you might have gotten a concussion or for some reason need to like stay awake for something, you know, just think about that part of the song Amazing and you're good to go. Another recommendation <laughs> would also be to to think about uh, your own skeleton and how it's inside of you. And then you won't be able to really uh, sleep for a while. That's just my own personal suggestion. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah, that that one too. That and Steven Tyler going. Oh my goodness! I know the parts that you're talking about. I, I, you know, maybe it's in, um, you know, amazing. You know, I couldn't place it. Amazing, crying, crazy. Does uh, so, but well, it's it it comes in at the part after he goes, and and then it's just like you know, most of the song is done, and he's just like, it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. And then it kind of like launches into this thing where it goes, oh, yeah, go, 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 go. and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's just Steven Tyler, like making toddler noises. It's redonkulous. Anyway, I had a lot of fun doing that. And I um, there was something else that I wanted to add, but I'm not remembering it right now. But it, I definitely had a lot of fun doing those as well. And, you know, that was a month where we only released two episodes, which is very uncommon for us. But it was a particularly busy time for Dan. The, the well, For both of us. For both of us. But, you know, that was well, uh, especially trying for uh, a... A babe, the parent of a fresh, freshly born baby, but also I was very busy with work stuff going on. And listen, we may have only done two episodes, but we covered seven videos, <laughs> and those true. were not short videos, <laughs> no, especially no, no, the no, Steinman no. ones. So, yeah. yes, so right. there, there you have it. Kudos, there we have it. Kudos yeah. to us. I will, um, and and I just want to throw in, I've been hooked on, I know we've talked, I don't know if we've talked on the podcast about it or just off mic about it, but I know you're a big Righteous Gemstones fan. Oh, yes, I am. And I have been a bit, like, it has taken, it it took a bit, but, like, I'm really hooked. I am. I am hooked. I'm flying through season two. Uh... I'm, you know what? It's it, like that the style of humor and like ex- accepting that it takes place in a slightly skewed universe, uh-huh. similar to that of the the Coen Brothers. Which, and I've read, I read a great piece that kind of you know shows how Righteous Gemstones takes some uh, inspiration from the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. But I, once you get that, and where it's like, yes, and people just use. The people just say fuck in just conversation with no matter who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not no one, you know, uh, really <laughs> says or does anything about it. Um, and just wanted to say, like, I really I appreciate it. I really enjoy the humor. I am loving the performances and even just into just the some of the just I mean, not some of the it's all like very weird random stuff but um want to point out something that i think is really interesting and cool okay. about it in that as uh and it has nothing to do with parenthood i just kind of when else are we going to talk about it uh was, <laughs> was was thinking that 
it it lampoons a lot and it certainly does kind of take an aim at the kind of like mega church uh family ministries and things and and stuff like that but when at least when it comes to the gemstones themselves uh-huh d- even with everything else that they get involved with everything else they get mixed up with and it is everything i never doubt for a moment that they truly believe in like Christianity and God uh-huh. and, and and like they I they always seem to be very genuine about that and and when whenever they say things like I mean like there's there's one episode uh, where you know the BJ <laughs> oh um, my god I love BJ and he, it's I think during like the baptism baptism episode when he uh-huh. was like wait a second you thought I was going to go to hell and like they take right. it seriously they they're not they're clearly not playing by the same rules as the rest of us because for all the stuff that, you know, they, they do quite a bit of things that are not uh, exactly what we would consider Christian living. Right. But, but I find it really interesting that in, in, in finding like all of the humor and just that raunchy and off color humor, there is also this sincerity and this genuineness to it. Mm-hmm. And and actually it does have a, a it, it does we can segue to parenthood from that because it too tells the story of a family that right. uh you know ha- has a lot of challenges, a lot of dynamics, a lot of big personalities. Yeah. And you know at the end of the day they they come together. So just like the Buckmans. Just like the Buckmans, uh, absolutely. And I do have to say, like, the Righteous Gemstones, uh, I, and your the segue was beautiful. I want to acknowledge that, and I'm going to keep it tied together. But uh, the Righteous Gemstones, uh, incredible that it's, you know, uh, running at the same time and, of course, in the same network as Succession, which is another beautiful story of a family dynasty. And uh, it's it's definitely the, you know, the Weird Al version of, of Succession. And uh, mad respect to that. And I feel like, um, Dan, didn't you tell me that the, the person who plays uh, BJ's mom on The Righteous Gemstone? I'm trying to... Yes. Yes. Um. So, uh, and at least as far as I've seen, she's only in the the baptism episode. Uh, the actress is Harley Jane Kozak, who plays right. Susan. Uh, Susan Hefner Nay Buckman in Parenthood. That's right. Yes, I wanted to make sure that we got that connection in there because that's yes. where I thought you were going with it. Uh, I, I just was couldn't pull up her name I, fast I, enough. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I hadn't like that. That connection is is in there in like my show notes, but <laughs> we kind of let. I wasn't. I was just thinking about. It. I was like, oh yeah, man, I wanted to mention that about righteous gemstones. Totally, and talk about it a bit here on on the program. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Parenthood, you know, it came out in 1989. Dan, you were already what? Um, not a parent. Not but... well. No, not a parent. But you were what? Twelve. Something like uh, yeah, that. I was yeah. I was eleven going on eleven 12. going on twelve summer of nineteen eighty nine, right? And you know I was like, um, geez, six, and we were just at the right age where there where the the children and the way that this movie kind of not like the very beginning, but the way this movie kind of starts really brings the children in with the diarrhea song. 
And I know that when I was a kid, I remembered that song very much because this movie, it's not like this movie played on repeat in our house growing up, but it was certainly one that stood out. And if ever there was an opportunity to watch it, it was definitely one to watch. Even though there were about 10,000 jokes that we certainly didn't understand and uh and certainly didn't appreciate because you know there the level at like which Diane Weist is performing is well beyond what anyone else can really comprehend when they're a child she's amazing I mean, oscar nominated for this performance Yes, and you know, I meant to look up the, and I'm ashamed that I can't just recite it off the top of my head, but I was going to look up who won that Oscar instead of Diane Weist, because, man, that was Diane Weist's Oscar to lose. I mean, although I would say there's a lot of things about Parenthood that when it was It was was Best Supporting Actress? Yes. So then that would have been Brenda Fricker for My Left Foot. Okay, Brenda Fricker was was I mean I haven't seen My Left Foot in a long time but yeah, okay. It, it she probably deserved it. We do love Brenda Fricker. Yeah, she's We sure do. Freaking great. Uh <laughs> yeah, but uh you know Diane Weist is uh she's wonderful uh in many things in many movies. Parenthood, I think, caters to her in a way that, um, to her talents, I would say Parenthood and Bullets Over Broadway Mm. are the two movies that just, like, delivered, like, delivered a gift to Diane Weist in the form of those characters that she played. And, yeah, Helen, Helen in this... She, I mean, I, I think we Why should, don't we I should talk. All right. Do you want synopsize. to do the synopsis? Should I talk about when I first saw it? Because I have, I have Please detailed... tell me when you first saw it. Okay. So I, so this is a movie that I saw twice in the theater uh, on its uh, initial run. Uh, loved it. Could, and, and like John was saying, it's not like this movie played uh, on repeat in our house, but you didn't need to, to remember certain lines and certain sequences. They just, they stick in there. And uh-huh. uh, so I we'll saw We'll talk about it, our favorite lines in a little bit. Oh my God. Yes. Can't wait. Uh, so I, my first time I saw Parenthood was with our, uh, it was our family friends, the Larsons. And uh, they had uh, two kids, uh, Dave, who was my age, and Jonathan, who was our brother Scott's age, and um, and, and both still are, in fact. So the Larsons were taking a trip down to the Bridgewater Mall that day. <laughs> I went this along is, for the ride. This is in New Jersey. Bridgewater, New Jersey, the Bridgewater Commons, and uh, which housed a, a wonderful uh, General Cinemas. Uh, theater there and that was where i saw parenthood the first time second time i saw it was at the cranford theater okay i don't remember the circumstances as much but i remember seeing it with large because i remember when uh the the blackout scene when steve martin (laughs) Mm -hmm. comes in the lights come on and he's holding a vibrator uh that that was explained to me (laughs) it was explained to you okay fortunately dave larson (laughs) knew what that was all right and I was laughing. I was still like, I know that that's not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's definitely not an electric ear cleaner, but I yes. 
I am not 100% sure what that's supposed to do. And then yeah. it just got funnier. And then, then like, and this movie is just every time you see it, when you see it at a different stage in your life, there's more things about it that you get. Especially when you are a parent. You know, you know, watching it when you're a child and watching your parent, two different movies. That's for sure. You identify with very different characters. <laughs> you just, man, you just see so many more layers as the, the more experience you have in life, the more layers of it you get and you you feel. And I mean, yeah. it, it's such a great movie that I just look at like who's the, the you know, the oldest character in it is is grandma. So it was wonderful. I'm like, you probably could be, you know, her age, with, which in this movie, I don't know if she's supposed to be like in her 90s, but and see something new in it because. Well, let's you see. Jason Robart's character. character is 64, I believe he says. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so, you know, anywhere from late 80s into the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to synopsize. Go for it. Okay, just in case anybody's been completely lost about what we've been talking about the past few minutes. The Buckman family is like a lot of suburban middle-class families. Hell, they're like all of us. They've got their problems. At the center of this story is Gil, Karen, and their three kids. Kevin, who has anxiety issues. Taylor, who's kind of the average middle child. And Justin, he likes to butt things with his head. Kevin's situation is especially challenging for Gil and Karen. Gil has two sisters, Helen and Susan. Helen is a divorcee with two kids, teenage Julie, who will follow her boyfriend Todd to the end of the earth, despite the fact that he's a burnout. And then there's Gary, the younger of Helen's kids, who doesn't have a father figure until Todd tells him all of the pubescent emotions and changes are totally normal. Helen will do anything for her kids and sacrifices her own happiness and personal life for them. Susan, on the other hand, is married to Nathan Huffner, who has big aspirations for their daughter, Patty. Nathan believes that her learning potential at her young age is limitless and wants to turn her into a mega brainiac before turning five. Nathan also has plans for his and Susan's lifestyle, controlling everything down to what they eat. But that's not all of the Buckman siblings. Let's not forget Larry, the youngest Buckman, who often disappears for years and only shows back up when he needs money. Be that as it may, he's still the clear favorite of Buckman family patriarch Frank. When he was raising his kids, Frank was a bit like Larry. He put them on the back burner when it came to his own selfish interests. But when Larry returns to town with his surprise son, Cool, and reveals that he's in major gambling debt, he naturally turns to Frank and attempts to swindle him out of many thousands of dollars that would result in Larry's death if it isn't paid. Meanwhile, a couple of unexpected pregnancies rattle the already shaky foundation of Castle Buckman. Karen informs Gil of her pregnancy immediately after he quits his job, sending him in a panic spiral that can only be cured by Kevin excelling at a baseball game. And the other surprise pregnancy is with Julian Todd, who also happened to have gotten married after she ran away from home. But despite all of the trials and tribulations that occur during this brief stretch of time, the Buckmans not only stay together, but build each other up and are there for one another every step of the way. Except Larry. He's got a major deal going on in South America. So that's, in a nutshell, what's going on in this movie. There are a lot of amazing uh, set pieces, uh, storylines that are going on. Um, 
and just kind of like opportunities for them to demonstrate their full dynamics. I mean, if we go family by family, Dan, do you want to just kind of like break it down as to like how each one is kind of going through their own weirdness? I mean, in more detail than you just did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, All right. because so, well, I was going to say, we just, should we just follow the trajectory of each family? Uh, it's so hard. I was really trying to think about, I'm like, how do we do this episode? Because I want to talk about every scene. In fact, I copied over the scene listing from <laughs> the DVD. Okay. Because because I could go through this movie scene by scene and just talk about well, all the things that are awesome and all right. the things that I didn't get before. Well, how about this? Let's talk about, um, let's go family by family, like Buckman all right. by Buckman, essentially. Um, well, it would. I mean, actually, it would be, so there would be two Buckman families, a Hoffner family and a uh, Lampkin family. Right. Except that Diane Weist yeah. goes back to Buckman. But let's but let's focus on the fact that they are all originally of Clan Buckman. Yes, yes, right. yes. No, they are all Clan Buckman. Yes. Yeah, and so, and I and I would like to start with Helen's family because I feel like that one is, you know, we started talking about Diane Weist who plays Helen, and I feel like it would really benefit us to to dive into that a little bit more. Agreed completely. Okay, so. So we've got Helen, who is a divorcee, maybe like, like probably late 40s, I would say. Mm, I don't know, because wait. Gil is only supposed to be 36. Well, wait. No, so Helen would roll away. Also, because if uh, um, Frank is 64, yeah. um, so that probably puts Helen early 40s. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. Well, because she's got Julie, who mm -hmm. is seventeen. Seventeen. So, so you've mm -hmm. got, so you've got, uh, so Helen is raising Julie and Gary, and John, uh, you know, in introduced them. Julie got like twelve seventy on her SATs. She got a good SAT score. She did not get sixteen hundred on her SATs, but <laughs> she she did well on her SATs. Julie can get into into good schools, right? Um. And Julie is, she's a cheerleader, uh, but she's also seeing this guy, Todd, who we that don't know. Todd. Like, yeah. Oh, that Todd again. It was nice for a moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all of her little throwaways. So, um, so, uh, so Julie is having this like secret relationship with Todd who like sneaks into their house and. Just real quick, well, Julie's yeah. played by Martha Plimpton, Todd is played by Keanu Reeves, and we'll get to Gary, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix in his last performance, credited as Leaf Phoenix. Go yeah. on, Dan. Um, and so, yeah, so Helen is trying to, so like she's got Julie and, uh, you know, it actually makes sense that they wouldn't, that Helen and Julie wouldn't be that at that far in age like maybe a good mm -hmm. like 25 years uh because helen is pretty attuned to julie and um but of course has no idea about this secret relationship going on and thinks that julie is done with todd uh, uh until uh until she picks up the wrong photos from the photo photo booth which uh 
you know, one of those things that it's like if you're not if 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 you're not from that time, you're gonna be like, wait a second, what is this? Where they're picking up pictures? Yeah, from like this weird booth in a parking lot. Yeah, yeah, booth in a at a Publix, and um, uh, so so, well, so there's got- a scene where where Todd and uh and Julie. Are, are documenting their love. They're photographing their lovemaking session. So that's what these yeah. these photos are. Listening to all the cool bands. I mean, like looking at the posters on Julie's wall, like, uh, you know, I didn't know who the Smiths were when I oh. saw Parenthood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I knew who U2 was, but I always find, that's I always find interesting. Like how do they decorate the set and what what posters do they use? So um, Anyway, the reason why Helen is um, raising these two kids on her own is because in her work, as she puts it, her uh, ex-husband, Ed, left to have a party. Yeah. Uh, Ed is a, a dentist and Ed uh, got remarried and he's his new wife and his new kids. Yeah. And he wants nothing to do with Gary and Julie. No. Yeah. No. And in fact, like, if can we jump around a little bit in their in their arc? Yeah, of course. Okay, because um, so first of all, actually, before I I do that jump around, I want to point something out in that first sequence where you meet Helen, Julie and Gary. So Gary, he's in his room and he's like, you know, Gary, he's got a padlock on the door, a padlock on the door, like post anthrax, like not not the poison, but like the band posters and just like, um, yeah, he like. Standard, you know, 12 year old metalhead. Uh, and he's got a skateboard and he just kind of like comes and goes. He goes from that room out of the house. That's pretty much it. He rarely, uh, he rarely, until the scene that I want to talk about, do you see him like linger? But, right. And so also comes- bear in mind, every time that you see him in the beginning, he's always carrying this mysterious brown paper bag that Helen is very curious about but never gets to really find out too much about she asks him about, oh he does like pause to linger actually like on his way out and that's like i, I figure if he's like drinking juice or something but uh and she's she's always so cheery with him every time she's like, hi gary um every every time helen sees him and, and she starts so she talks to him and and the whole the setup here is that the whole family is coming to helen's house for dinner and that there's going to be a big surprise. And when Helen sees Gary, she talks it up and she's talking to him like, Oh yes. And your uncles and aunts and their kids and all these kids. And she's talking it up. Like it's going to be the best thing ever. Gary leaves. And then Helen goes to talk to Julie to ask her to help out and goes into a much more genuine tone, mm-hmm. talking to Julie and making it sound like it's a huge pain in the ass, which it, it is right. So, <laughs> um, oh, it's so I, good. I I never I never really caught that nuance before, and it's like, oh man, she is just trying to make family sound so great to Gary, but she's gonna be totally real with Julie. Yeah. Um. Later, and so later on, we get to a point, in the, and we we kind of have these interactions where Gary's kind of, these things are going on with Julie because Julie, uh. Runs off with. Uh, she runs know, off. Uh, oh, she runs off. She runs off after her mother finds, you know, sees yeah. the pictures. So and... she goes off with Todd because Todd's going to start a house painting business with his brothers, and she's going to then they're going to find a place together. And then what we find out is that he actually 
gets into what do you point what are you pointing at the ceiling for dan I don't believe he's starting the house painting business with his brothers. I think that's two other guys. And then his brothers stole all the equipment. His brothers wanted him to drag race. Well, we don't find that out until after she comes back. Because the brothers made him go off, do this drag racing thing. Doesn't matter. Make him go off and do this drag racing thing and essentially just tells her to F off. And so she's... Resorting to panhandling. He says, no bitch is going to tell me how to live my life. Right. I was, I, I wasn't going to quote it. <laughs> I just, I, 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 it was one of those lines though, that like when, she, when, she, it, 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 I don't know that, that it's line. It's the hit. influence of his brothers and, yeah. uh, you know, and of course he comes back begging. Toxic where masculinity. You, yeah. He comes back begging for her forgiveness where she, where they then reveal that they have gotten married and that's where uh, Helen has decided to like kind of take him in. Well, okay, uh, hold on a second. Let me okay. let me go back. I'm trying to speed through... up because we've got a lot to no, cover. No, no, no. But I'm 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 getting to a point. Okay. So like, let me get there. Uh, so they're they're going back and forth, and we have all these interactions. Gary comes and goes, and it's like Julie's moving out, and Julie's like, I'm moving out. Gary's like, fine, bye, and he has like no no response whatsoever. He doesn't even stop. And then there's the scene when he finally stops and Helen's sitting there. She's like, you know, balancing a checkbook, something else people used to do back in the day. And he's and and he stops and he lingers and she's like, oh, my God, he finally wants to talk to me. And it's to ask if he can go live with his dad. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because he says it's getting pretty crowded around here because Todd is there now. And yeah. and of course Diane Weist has another one of her most amazing lines. Well, there should be now that they've shaved their heads, should be more space. Yeah. Um. So it, it's so he's got this this moment where he calls, you know, he calls his father, and and Helen knows exactly what's going to happen. And he calls his father, and you don't hear the father on the other side of of the call. You just hear Gary. And he, you know, he calls, talks to the receptionist, says, tell him it's his son. He's like, no, 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 it's not your other, it's me. It's your other son, yeah. Gary. And when you hear him, you don't hear what the father is saying to him, but the, the expressions, a, a young Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. A young Oscar winner who you well, can see, you know, showing all the signs that he's going to be this amazing actor. Yes, yes, he's, yes. He's but had who it since knew, the beginning. But who, like, you know, but who knew then and who was thinking then? And now I'm watching that scene and just kind of having had experience, you know, um, working with kids, going through um, going through difficult things such as divorce and experiencing things like that. And, um, you know, just kind of hearing kids talk about their situations, you know, the, I, a lot of the high school kids I teach. um and seeing Gary experience that phone call. And it was such an intimate moment because there's such a great close up on his face and it's that intimacy. And it's that there feels like there's so much reality in this Mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. And this is one of those storylines that really just, it feels real and it feels very like it, as current now as it would have then. Yeah. And and I also just want to mention this movie is directed by Ron Howard. Uh, and is The Paper the only other Ron Howard movie we've covered on the podcast? I'm trying to remember 
if there's anything else that we've talked about from Ron Howard. Yes. But no, um, I think the paper's the only one. Yeah. Good. So then we're, uh, we're we got two two real gems here. Uh, but and sh- they show that like Ron, not that Ron Howard should spend his entire career directing ensemble comedy dramas, but right. like. This is really, and this is before Ron Howard got into like Oscar Space. territory. With, yeah. yeah, with yeah Apollo thirteen and yeah. and all the beautiful mind. But uh, yeah, Ron and and interestingly, Ron Howard developed the script with Babalu uh, Mandel and Lowell Gans, right. um, greatest screenwriting pair in the history <laughs> of, of history. Uh, um, they developed it and just like talking about all of their experiences as parents and as children in their own families. Yeah. Uh, and so this movie is, if you will, an amalgam. Sure. And uh, it's crazy how fluidly it all works together. I, 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 I watched it and just thought to myself, like, how did they not, like, they should have gotten a nomination the for this. The flow is really incredible in this movie because you seamlessly go from, like, family to family and you're able to retain everything that's going on in a really simple way, even though they all have such dense stories. And that's right. where I kind of want to move on to Susan and Nathan. Um, that's the aforementioned, and I'm going to mess up her name, so I'm going to look it up one more time. Uh, Harley Jane Kozak and Rick Moranis and their uh, their daughter, Patty, uh, played by... Yvonne Schwan, who people would probably know better from uh, Problem Child 2. I think that that's where she broke out <laughs> in a major way. That, I, I think she was the only cast member to stay on for the 1990 TV series. Oh, interesting. Okay. Or, or one of the, I don't know, but yeah, I'm pretty sure she was. Yeah. That. So their story is a, is definitely a lot more simple than than Helen's story, but uh, it's certainly very fascinating where Nathan is controlling in a way that seems so caring that you don't realize that it's happening. And because of that, Susan has taken on this lifestyle and these parenting methods that are there to help their daughter excel and she's not getting the fulfillment that she needs out of the relationship and doesn't feel as respected as her own daughter does by her husband. And Nathan does all these things with Patty, you know, all these little flashcards and stuff to help her learn and has her in martial arts uh not to say dan that that is a problem because i know that your daughter is in martial arts as well but it to a to a very extreme level i should say i am not i'm not personally coaching my daughter so that she could have a better grasp on eastern philosophy for when she's a titan of industry right that is true yes and then which is uh, nathan's motivation that's absolutely true and Susan, you know, she says like, oh, I'm getting to teach. She's a she's a teacher and she's like, I'm going to teach summer school. So that way we can afford to take this vacation and blah, 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 blah. blah. So they're going to go to Mexico. And that's when Nathan is like, oh, we should bring Patty. And that's the good way to get her started on Spanish. And yeah. If I can, if I can interject, it's also his idea to bring Patty is also a response to Susan saying that that Gil and Karen, Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen are offered to watch Patty and and Nathan's like, no. Right. Because he sees the way that Gil parents, which is very playful and just fun 
and that is not the life he wants for his daughter, not even for a week. And like even an afternoon makes Nathan sweat. But oh, <laughs> after uh, um, Susan leaves him, he kind of busts out a grand romantic gesture. That's a, a really lovely scene. And um, yeah, really great scene. Um, and like Rick Moranis really getting you know to to, to play a, to play a, a you know a, a role play a you know do something. I was trying to say do something that's not just comedic. Um, but I feel like Rick Moranis kind of brings that pathos uh, to most of his roles. Like even as Lewis Tully, he brings, like you feel bad for him. Well, something I also want to mention is that uh, Rick Moranis won an American Comedy Award for Funniest Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture for this film, which is very perplexing to me because I don't think that he was necessarily, he's probably one of his least funny roles. You know, uh, I don't know. Although he does, like, have, he does have perhaps my favorite line. Oh, well, sh- let's get to that later. Let's we'll get that. Yeah, no, no, later. we're gonna get to favorite lines, and then and then later, I want to also talk about like the scenes when they all come together. But but yeah. first, kind of taking it through the Nathan, right? So, uh, yeah, so she, you actually, and it's interesting. You get some great hints at the backstory of Nathan and Susan when Susan's explaining it to Karen, and yeah. um, and I think Helen is there too, uh, and talks about how Nathan, you know, as she puts it, got her shit together. Yeah, and like you know did a lot for her you know motivated her and there was definitely that uh you know that spark in in there um it's interesting though how again this movie kind of does keep coming back to toxic masculinity Hmm. which nathan in a different sense sure yeah Ha, you know, is it's you know that that controlling that you you know um, examining the contraceptive device for my goodness. sabotage absolutely because it's not part of the plan for them to have a second child until the first child is a certain age and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah right at least you know five years between sibs uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it's really. You know, it's it's really something. And and when he when he sees himself, when he when he sees losing control and we see this happen with every with with all of the, you know, the the not just the male characters, but mm-hmm. especially the male characters, we see how fragile they are when they do lose control. Right. Absolutely. And that's where I kind of want to. I'd like to get into Gil now, I think. Yeah, because we see Gil. Played by Steve Martin. Okay. Gil, Steve Martin, Karen, Mary Steenburgen, the Virgin Mary, shout out. And uh, of the three children, the only one who I want to shout out actually is Taylor. Um, And that's because Taylor is played by Curly Sue. Allison Porter. Yeah, Allison Porter, Curly Sue. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the one child that kind of has like the least interesting character moments. (laughs) Although it's... What's funny, Taylor has, Taylor's got some under, there's some Taylor stuff that you don't notice unless. Oh, really? Uh, unless, like, well, so there's some, there's some, uh, the the Taylor-Kevin dynamic. Okay. So Taylor's, Taylor's the middle child and uh, Kevin's the oldest. Kevin has these ang- anxiety issues. Taylor's is seemingly 
better adjusted or he- uh-huh. has a healthier sense of of self. And even in the very beginning, the opening sequence, the the credits when they're getting into the car, mm-hmm. you hear Taylor say. God, Kevin, you always move so slow. You're always slowing things down mm-hmm. or something like that. Like she says something like that. And it was just, it made me think of, cause I've seen the movie so many times, the scene a little bit later on when Gil and Karen are talking to the principal who talks about the teacher uh-huh. having to slow down the class because of Kevin. Right. And it just hit me. I was like, man, there's all these, these nuances, these layers. Yeah. And it's like, imagine you're the older brother and like your little sister is giving you shit for being a fuck up. Like, <laughs> that, like that, that's gonna, you know, when you're eight going on nine. <laughs> yeah. That's gotta hit hard. Sure. So just getting into that family dynamic, the, the real tension and drama is mostly focused around Kevin who's going through these problems at school, like you just mentioned. The teacher has to spend, I think they say like 25% of the class getting him to focus and settle down. And he clearly has anxiety issues. I mean, this is 1989, so I'm sure that there's some, you know, autism spectrum uh, diagnosis that could be associated with him. And, you know, ADHD, who knows? Who knows what it could possibly be? But... He has an issue that's not being addressed, and certainly if this was happening now, there would there be a much more open mind about psychology. Because, so, yeah. So different. So different, because there's so different. This, this thing where rather than sending him to a special school, they say that they're going to send him to a psychiatrist, and that is such this shocking thing. Anytime that people talk about it or anything and it's like, oh no, you're going to see a psychiatrist. Like, I mean, nowadays it's like, oh good, you're in therapy. Great, me too. You know, <laughs> like all ages. It's, I mean, thank God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's come, like things have come so far with that. They also talk about having to move Kevin like to a school for special education. Right. Now, it, in today's in today's world, and I mean, I guess just to to, to jump foreshadow a bit, I, this is something they do incredibly well in the uh, the the more recent TV series, uh, Parenthood. Right. But he would have been their own damn school. Well, yeah, there's that. Uh, <laughs> but like Kevin would have just been assessed and given, um, you know, something called an IEP, which basically makes sure that students with or, or Kevin, he would have had something called an IEP or a Section 504, which is more for like emotional okay. uh, issues. But anything that's like a challenge that is going to prevent a student from from being able to perform like, you know, to to work and perform at the same pace uh as the rest of the class they mm-hmm. have a document that ensures that they're given you know they're given e- extra time on things uh they're given you know uh someone will help them read instructions got it so on and so forth things to make sure that it's equitable and we're accurately gauging what these kids are are you know uh actually understanding and and capable of of doing so uh, I, I I thought during that scene uh, in the principal's office, I thought it was very, uh, it, you know, that was the, one of the most like dated aspects of it. Something else that was pretty dated is that Gil throws Karen under the bus for smoking grass in college. 
And yeah. that right now, like, everyone would be like, so what? Only in college? Like, <laughs> you know, I it's- smoked grass on my way to work. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, to, to link back to Kevin, um, what we also then see is later on after Gil quits his job, finds out that he's having another kid, uh, and is going through all this stuff, you see him going through these things that Kevin goes through, where like he makes this face and he's so anxious and there's all this stuff going on. And and of course, you get this like very strange uh, filmmaking moment where um, uh, Grandma has told this story where about, or not a story, but she's kind of given the example of like, why she likes roller coasters because she's like, yeah, they make you feel sick and crazy, but I don't know. I just love them so much. And, uh, Karen is just like, I like the roller coaster story. You know, I I like that. I like that mentality of like, you know, life is meant to be full of twists and turns and ups and downs and kind of makes you feel all weird, but it also gives you the the dopamine and the serotonin, like all that kind of stuff that just kind of keeps you going. And um, Gil is just such like a party pooper about it. And he's acting a lot like Kevin. And it's really well done. And the filmmaking moment, of course, is when they're at the play and he's all anxious because his kids are screwing up this play and everyone's like standing up and laughing and shouting. And he kind of, the camera shows it as if he's on like a roller coaster. <laughs> it's like, that was such a, a weird moment. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, it was a little, it, I agree. I, I, that moment is, because there's nothing else like that in the movie. The movie's no. presented very you know, traditionally. And then all of a sudden they're they're doing that. And I, I, yeah, it, it, it's fine. It, but yeah, it's, it's a little out, out of place. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything more to really, well, well Gil... What's up? Oh, in the Gil Karen yeah. um, story. Well, you've got Karen who's been considering, she talks about, you know, whether she's, whether or not she's going to go back to work. And what's, what's interesting is, you know, in this, this conversation that's happening in the eighties, it's not that Karen is being pressured to stay home and be yeah. a housewife. She's feeling pressure from friends to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I, I thought it was really interesting because it, it did show that there are some there are some people who prefer to, you know, take care of the home, take care of the children, and uh, you know, not just women, men too, yeah. who prefer to, say, you know, no, this is I'm good at this. She says she's like I'm good at this. I like I feel good about how I yeah. do this. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting little um, twist on the. Uh, you know, the movement in the 80s, uh, I mean, pre and since 80, 80s as, as well, but that like the the sort of the social pressure to, you know, defy stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, well, what if that is actually what I like doing? And just, yeah. I, it, yeah. Um, any Anything else with them? No. So, well, here's something that I want to cover before we move on to another sibling. So in each of these three stories, you have a situation in which there's a teen pregnancy. 
there um right because we find out that uh todd and uh julie are going to be having a baby and that's especially where helen kicks into overdrive when it comes to protecting todd because it's like you are like like it or not you are the father of my grandson so you know get it together we're well, protecting protecting todd encouraging him to to not feel badly about right. himself and also making sure that you know julie doesn't back out when the when the going gets tough sure so anyway we've got that pregnancy going on there with uh with gil and karen we have their pregnancy and then with um it's sorry the names of all of them it's like such very typical female names so and then with susan and nathan you have the debate about them having another child and you know her poking holes in the diaphragm because she wants to have another child and this movie is called parenthood we are dealing with these situations in which people are parents and are also becoming parents uh, for other times the buckmans are the most fertile family they are in abs- like i'm surprised grandma doesn't get pregnant yeah <laughs> so i like uh, the roller coaster it so, goes up and down and you know i i don't want to get too deep into this because i know that we could get really deep into this and we're already like over 45 minutes into this recording but we are recording this what are you talking about we're at 30 minutes <laughs> i have 48 minutes. minutes oh really yeah oh. so anyway uh the uh, we are recording this on the day where it's been announced that there's like a leak that Roe v. Wade is being overturned. And th- this is, a, 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 I, I'm so sorry to have to be bringing this up on was a fun show, but that's absolutely shitty. And uh, we're talking about this movie Parenthood in which there's discussions about like, well, maybe I won't have this baby, and well, we can't have this baby, but they still decide to have the babies. And also in the 2010s Parenthood TV show, we have a character who gets pregnant young, and they keep the baby. And there are never the discussions, like no one, and I. it's hard to say, I mean, I get 1989 you're probably not going to get a family movie where they decide to have an abortion. In uh, on a network television show, I uh, like Parenthood, you're probably not going to have somebody deciding to get an abortion. And I understand that. These this these the show and this movie they're called Parenthood. And it yes, yeah, Dan. Though I I I I do have to say that it being 1989, the fact that it was discussed in the manner mm-hmm. that it's discussed between Gil and Karen. They don't use the word, but they say something along the lines of no, keeping they do. it. They do? They do. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of uh, of Julie and Todd. Oh, right. No, yeah. no, no. They don't. Um, well, maybe I no, shouldn't she just keep says, this baby. She says, well, he's crazy if he thinks I'm having his baby now. Right, uh, Exactly. But no, Karen's Karen says you think I should get an abortion, and Gil has that moment, and it's so I the Steve Martin delivers this so well. Yeah. And that's that's a choice every woman has to make right. for herself. And, yes, and she says, "No, you're not running for office." <laughs> yes, no, that's true. That's I such thought, a good line espe- too, especially considering the the time is, and it's this big studio. Like right, yeah. and it's funny because what he's doing is he's 
saying yes, but without saying yes and encouraging her to decide in that way. And, um, you know, and I guess there's a, a little a, a, a little shimmer of that toxic masculinity as well, where it's just like, oh, I, I, I can't say that, but I have to say something and make her think that it's her idea or, you know, something like that. Well, it's like also, that. I mean, do you think that, that Gil Buckman ever expected to have that? I don't think that was a conversation that people expected to have, especially when they were, you know, in in marriages like yeah. like Gil and Karen's um so i would imagine i don't i i would imagine that that abortion did not come up with any of their prior pregnancies no yeah so, um so anyway i kudos, just want to i just want to, to acknowledge that there there have there were these discussions in these movies i uh, it was you know, they take place in a world in which those are possibilities. And I say they because the movie TV show, I can't imagine that season one of the 1990 Parenthood touched on it too much. I haven't seen it. And I, I don't know. I think that it's um, it's just something that's on my mind a lot, particularly like this t- during this time. But yeah. today, yeah. within the past few hours, especially since like this news has come out about what's going on at the Supreme Court, which is just gut-wrenching. And um, and I will, I am going to be bringing it back to the the Buckmans and our, and our one one other Buckman child. Uh, child, I say. He's, you know, in his... Well, man-child. Yeah, man-child. Right. So anyway, so so the big news that happens at the, at the dinner at Helen's house is that uh, Larry is back and... Uh, his big surprise is that he has brought his, I don't know, five, six-year-old, five-year-old son. Five, five, I think. Yeah, five-year-old yeah. son named Cool. And I I know that this is, I'm not going to, exp- I'm not saying that this is one of my favorite lines, but the way that he explains what the situation was with Cool and how Cool's mom it was like when Larry met her, she was a showgirl, had a fling, and then she shows up five years later, says, this is your son. I killed a man. I have to leave the country. <laughs> so that's how he got cool. Uh, the sweetest little boy. And, um, you know, and of course, that sends a shockwave through the family of just like, a, oh, Larry being Larry. Knocking up showgirls, and there's a, yeah the whole the look on on everyone the looks on their faces uh, when when Larry tells the story about uh, about Cool's Cool's mother. Yeah. Um, and, and another interesting thing, I I feel a little like awkward bringing this up, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's the unspoke. Or were you going there? Oh no no no, uh, go ahead. Like the other un like another unspoken thing like not not mentioned not discussed not an issue but i think still a like even especially in 1989 especially in in this movie um th- that cool is is half black yeah it's biracial cool, like yeah cool is biracial yeah. thank you um the, uh and you know yeah like i said it's not 
even it's not a topic, but no. yet I feel like that's an intentional choice. I don't think that's just like, well, that, you know, hey, the cutest kid that showed up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I think La- like the character of Larry is kind of all about throwing shockwaves through the through the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah. not like he did that intentionally to throw. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah. But I'm saying, I'm saying the character, the role of the character in the in the script. Yeah, and I think that, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe it just was the cute. I just think I'm like, no, that was definitely intentional. Okay, I mean, because yeah. if it, I mean, if it was, it's just another one of those really, I, I, I would say like smart choices made, and you know, kind totally. of shows this movie being for its time somewhat progressive yeah absolutely and i think that that also has something to do with larry's character despite the fact that he's you know uh, a compulsive gambler he is you know the youngest of the four children and you know maybe a little bit more progressive than the others you know they all live in the same town except larry who at that time was living in vegas and that like the entire family still lives in that same town. Well, we can only assume that it's the same town, but the same area outside of St. Louis somewhere. And yeah, and he's the one who moved away and did something different. And I think that the that's part of the reason why Frank, their father, likes him is because he's exciting. He's interesting. He comes back with stories. He's you know, got the same like curiosity and and it almost feels like Frank has this like wanderlust and like Frank had this thought of like, you know, this isn't the life I saw for myself with all of these kids. And and you know that he explains that because where does he have dinner every night for like two years in his garage with his car that he's fixing up? He's looking for in his, this is, this is someone who's like, you know, He's not in and there is there is love in his marriage and you do see it yeah. at points in the movie, but he's he's totally caught up in him in him in in himself and you know, very like the, the toxic masculinity definitely oh. drips downwards yeah. from Frank. Uh you know. <laughs> Talking about the the car, telling the story. I love when he's telling cool when he shows cool yeah. the car. Cool's like, oh, it's shiny. He's like, yeah, first time I got laid was in a car. Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, that story was for so another good. time. Yeah, that's one of those lines from this movie that I do. I know it's not a line specifically from this movie, like a oh, story for another right. time. But I use it and I say it in that Frank tone. <laughs> and and also, I just want to call out Frank is played by the amazing Jason Robards, and oh, Larry brilliant. is played by Tom Hulse. Who yes. we certainly love. Listen to our Amadeus episode. Uh, I enjoyed that episode a lot. So love the Hulse uh, man. So you know these are for me the two Tom Hulse movies that exist in the world, and everything else is just another movie. So I, I think that also you know uh, at the um, what Animal House? <laughs> no, screw Animal House. It's these two. Well, right. Don't look shocked like that. It's these two for me. It's these two. Anyway, okay. I. At the end, well, towards the end, you know, we do have Larry and Cool, you know, staying with um, Frank and I'm forgetting the Helen. name of the mother. Or not Helen. No, not Helen is the uh, is grandma, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's Helen Shaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Helen is the daughter. 
Helen is the daughter. Helen Shaw plays grandma. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Eileen Ryan plays Frank's wife. Oh, I don't there you know go. what her name is. No, I don't think the they ever say her name. name. But, uh, you know, since Cool starts living there, and once... Uh, starting actually with that scene where Frank takes Cool to look at the car, that's where you see kind of that relationship form with them and... It's almost like cool for Frank is this new this new chance at becoming the father figure that he wants to be based on the way that he's seen his family develop, I'd say. And, you know, it's it's a really fascinating thing to kind of see it from that perspective. And, you know, and also like Frank goes to Gil for advice and that's like this shocking, like this new turn for Frank because we see in real time Frank realizing that Larry, the one that he admired the most, is a complete f up. You know, he's just a, a disaster. He's a mess, and he's he's still gonna bail him out because he's his kid. But like, you know, and and even if he if Larry's not gonna go with the plan he sets out for him. He still loves him and he's going to do his best to do right by cool and not let cool fall into those same patterns. And may I say that when Frank proposes the the plan yeah. to Larry and Larry then launches into the let me throw a wrinkle into the plan. Yeah. Uh the look on in I mean Robard's a brilliant actor <laughs> like there's no disputing that. God damn it, the look on his face. Yep. And just you just see him and he's like realizes he's like, I'm never gonna see my son again. Yeah. Whether he disappears right. off the map or is killed, I'm never going to see my son again. Yeah. And maybe that's also plays into why he takes in cool because it's his only way to have Larry. Yeah. To have a yeah. piece of you know to have some of Larry that might be like, you know, the good in Larry. So it might not just be his chance to like, you know, actually be a, a decent father and use the experience, have it use his experience to be a decent father figure mm -hmm. might also kind of be his way of redeeming himself for, from, for maybe screwing up Larry. Yeah. <laughs> and to the, to the point where he's going to get killed by gangsters. Sure. Yeah. And uh, in this movie, you know, it ends with this wonderful moment, this wonderful, wait a second, who is that moment where you oh, see a baby so well. being born and you're wondering, who is that the father that's carrying this baby out to the room or that's going to announce to the room like that it's a girl and everything? And it could be anyone. It yeah. could be Dave. <laughs> You well, you see that, uh, yeah, Dave Dennis Dugan. Dave you see, Dennis Dugan. yeah, but you see Todd out there with the baby, so it's like, oh, that's they've already had their baby. You see, you know, Mary Steen Virgin and and their baby, and it's just like, oh, the Virgin Mary has her baby, and then it's just like, well, then who is it? And it's uh, it's Helen's new boyfriend, the the you know Gary's Mr. teacher, Mister Bowman, uh, who we who we meet at one point, who is just a very delightful man. Um, and he's just like so happy and the whole family's there and it's just so nice. And um, yeah, it's just this wonderful uh, moment where it's like you see, oh, good for Helen. She's 
finally getting the life that she deserves to have. You know, uh, Todd and Julie are, you know, doing well, even though they have this new baby, there's and they're still like teens, they're doing well. And Gary is doing way better. He's smiling and he's just he's like a, wearing colors. He's wearing he's, colors and the fun hat and his shirt is tucked in. Uh he's not actively he's, watching porn at the hospital that we know of. He's not disguising porn in slipcases from Universal Studios hit yeah. movies. <laughs> oh, the great outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I I I, you know, of course we love this movie. Um, and I know that we're going to get to the point where we talk about what we would do with it if we had to remake it or do a sequel or something. But first, we got to talk about our favorite lines. We've been building it up for so long. Favorite, favorite lines. Wow. I, well, I feel like a lot of them for me take place at Kevin's birthday party <laughs> where I, Kevin really wanted them to hire this guy, Cowboy Dan. And it was like this whole big thing about this, getting this performer, this cowboy performer to come and everything. But there was a mix up and Cowboy Dan got sent to this biker club or something like that. And he got beat up. And then instead they sent over a stripper and that's not going to fly for a little kid's birthday. So uh, Cowboy Gil comes out and Gil like, does an awesome job entertaining the kids. I mean, it's Steve Martin. Of course, he's going to do an awesome job. So at that party, we see Grandma sucking in helium from a from a balloon, and she says to the kids, "When I was born, Grover Cleveland was president." And like, <laughs> and then giggles. <laughs> uh, so that line is great. Not my favorite, but go on, Dan. Well, since you mentioned that scene, something else that I noticed uh, on this go around with the parental experience is that often is that that scene shows how our best decisions, our best choices as parents are often those decisions that are just made in the moment. Oh, yeah. And that are not like because if anything, if Gil's story shows us anything, if this movie shows us anything, is is that you can have plans, but. Things are not going to go according to plan. So when he has that moment where Kevin starts to freak out and he goes, Cowboy Dan's not coming. And Gil's like, no, Cowboy Dan is coming. Cowboy Dan is coming. And then Steve Martin just has that great look in his eyes like, oh, fuck what I just do. And he 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 said it. He's got to make good on it. And then you see him come out with the rugs strapped to his legs as, yeah. as the, uh, um, I forget what they're called, that cowboys wear. The pizza chaps. slicers, chaps, thank you. Pizza slicers yeah. uh, attached to his, his foot. He's got like band-aids t- holding everything together. It's so good. Um, and, he has no idea how to do balloon animals. <laughs> right. Uh, so I want to shout it. But I want to shout out one of my my new favorite line from this movie oh. is is before he comes out as you know Cowboy Gill and everything, and all the kids are just like, "Where's Cowboy Dan? Where's Cowboy Dan?" And there's a guy that's hired there with a horse for the kids to look at, and he's like, "Isn't that Cowboy Dan?" And one kid goes, "No, nah, that's just the schmuck with the horse." <laughs> <laughs> And I never picked up on like this 10-year-old kid calling this just guy with the horse the schmuck with the horse. I mean, it's just like, oh yeah, 
Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans were just like, it'd be really funny to have a little kid call that guy a schmuck with a horse. And they were right. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a schmuck it is with really horse. Fun. It's hilarious. And it's taken me this long to discover that line and like fully appreciate it. So kudos. So many other wonderful moments during that scene. And then I'll get to my favorite lines. But yeah. moments such as like when Nathan and Susan are arguing and you see Helen and Karen passing by like as they're like they're i don't know if they're actually bringing things back and uh, they uh, seem like they're carrying the same tray like back and forth and they're like eavesdropping i um, did not mary, notice that mary steenburgen's reactions when susan is telling her about like how like and sexy she found nathan and how she's like blow nathan on the highway yeah and everything and Mary Steen Merchants and well and and Susan's like well you know he was really having a hard time applying for this this grant and yeah. Mary Steenburgen goes and you thought that would help yeah. <laughs> I love it it's oh god she's so wonderful in it um love her so she's many great so lines good. and actually you know what my favorite line is also in that same scene uh-huh and and it's hard to say this is like 100% my my favorite line there's no scientific measurement but i it's it's the one that just i have emulated and taken and i just love so much and it happens when they're standing in the kitchen after uh after susan has just been telling uh karen all about like giving nathan head on the highway nathan walks in uh-huh. hilarious moment uh steed Mergen kills it uh when he walks in and then Justin runs in with a bucket on his head and, mm-hmm. and rams his head into the door. And Karen just looks up and goes, he likes to butt things with his head. Mm-hmm. And Nathan goes, how proud you must how be. How proud you must be. Yes. How oh, proud God, you must I be is it. a great line. I use it all of the time. You know um, what it, you know what it is? It's, and th- it's a Rick Moranis thing because it's the yes, have some. Yes, have some. <laughs> yes, have some from Ghostbusters. From Ghostbusters. Just a, such a quotable line, and who knew? But, hey, I mean, uh, just over my left shoulder is Vince Cortho in, in watercolor. So yes, have shout some. out to, to Rick Moranis. Yes, have some. So, so there's, uh, so, there's so, so many there's great that. lines. There's also all of the the different the ways that certain things are said. Diane Weist, when she sees um uh when she sees Todd and Julie shaving their heads, and she just goes, Sweet Jesus! Yeah. I also I love that. Um, oh, go ahead. I, well, I'm just going to pick up on that one. The A great Weast moment is when she's looking at the photos. And before they come in, she before uh, Julie comes in, she's like, <laughs> like just really upset oh, and just pouting. Her, her... And then Julie, the way that she performs this thing after Julie comes in and she goes just like, hmm, I think this one's my favorite. Maybe it's this one. Like... Uh, I I think the way she taps this is into that, Todd, that, isn't it? There's one where you can see his face. One where you can see his face. Oh my god, it's so wonderful. Well, that line, Julie's line about I thought someone in this house should be having sex with something yeah. that doesn't require batteries. That's a great line. But there's uh, this, oh, uh, and then Diane Wee's saying you're gonna say something worse than the battery remark. Yeah, I know. But there's also this moment after Julie like storms off into her room. Where Diane Weist, and I don't, this isn't like me saying a wonderful quote, but this is just um, power to the Weist because she gives this line where she's just like, 
I sacrifice everything for you and I have no life. I have no friends. And like, she just like pours her all, all every emotion out. And she's, and then, you know, uh, when Julie leaves, she's just like, well, don't even think about coming back here and blah, blah, blah. blah. But then like after five seconds of seeing Julie outside and they do this thing where like Julie's standing outside, looking into the window, waiting to for her mom to turn around so she can see her storm off. And then she just like runs outside and she's like, Julie, Julie, anything you need, let me know. I'm here if you need me. It's that, such I love a that powerful shot. scene. I oh. love that shot of Julie because I feel like, you see, I think it's Julie actually like having a moment of hesitation and like looking at her mom. Uh, yeah. And then, but yeah, then she's like, no, I'm going. Uh, but yeah, I love that shot. Love yeah. that scene. Um, I love when if we're on a Helen Julie kick here after uh, Julie leaves, leaves Todd and she's crying and they're on the couch and she's like, oh, oh my, yep. he said he loved me. And, and, she, and Helen goes, oh, they say that. And then they come. Yeah. It's a great and, line. And that's when I'm like, how is this a screenplay written by a bunch of dudes? Like, yeah, I know. It, it's really it sounds, brilliant. It sounds so good. Other other little nuances I want to point out. Um, mm-hmm. The during the the fantasy during Steve Martin's fantasy scenes of Kevin's graduation, oh, yeah. when the dean calls him up and says his name with such relish, yeah. you see, Kevin Bachman. Yeah. And then, um, of course, and then there's the then uh, you know also to throw in a comment something else that did not transition well from the 80s to today the uh the campus shooting oh of course yeah um which you know at that not that there had not been that i mean that was modeled on a uh, famous shooting Yeah. yeah uh but yeah i watched that and i was like i i can't i know there's this is supposed to be funny yeah yeah right uh I want to call out one more thing, and this is something that we have referenced on at least one other episode of this show, but the the moment when, uh, after Todd comes out from having his, like, conversation with Gary, explaining things about sex and stuff like that, and the way that Keanu Reeves walks out with the, like, box of donuts, and he goes to Diane Weist, and he's just like, can I speak Frank? <laughs> That's one messed up little dude. No no holds barred. That's one messed up little dude. And then uh, he's like, so, you know, he turned like this age, whatever. And he started getting boners. And, you know, he's been, how do I say this? Slapping the salami. (laughs) And uh, the look on Diane Weiss' face and the way that Keanu Reeves does that entire scene. And that's also the scene where... You know, there's the the amazing line. You know, it, they they go from comedy to like sincerity, like so flawlessly. Seamlessly. Well, this is and this is also after, uh, you know, Diane Weiss is like cooking chicken on the stove, and he's like, "Oh, you burnt your chicken. Oh, that looked good." <laughs> but then he goes into this sincere moment where he's talking about how he didn't have a father figure, like his dad growing up, like flicked lit cigarettes at him. And then he says that line, and Dan, you could probably quote it better than I could, but he says this whole thing about how like any 
You need a license to buy. Well, a no, dog. but what is he? You need oh, a yeah, license. Right. Any butt reamant, but they'll let any butt reamant asshole be a father. Yeah. And see, I'm glad you brought that line up because yeah. this is a scene as I'm watching this movie from my, you know, my woke 2022 uh, parental perspective. Right. And I'm thinking about how. Man, I'm like, this is a lot like there's a lot of comments about like needing a man around and like needing a father figure. And I was like, you know, that I'm like, that doesn't translate so well. And then this scene comes and it's like, oh, right. Because she because Helen says she says, I I guess he really needs a, a man, a man in his life. And that's he nails it there, Todd. He's he says depends on the man. Depends on the man. Yeah. Saying like, maybe not. Yeah. Not always. Like, yeah. It's it's not necessarily having a man. It's having a positive. Sure. And I think that that's where you go from 1989 to the 2010s and the teens and stuff with the television series Parenthood that does, you know, to a certain extent, wokeify things. And you you have your same sex relationships and you have uh, a little bit more progressive uh, family, the Bravermans, uh, and I don't want to get too much into this because if we could, we if we started talking about the Parenthood television series too much, we could just not stop. And they did uh, a really, they did a really, real. I like. I don't see how you really could have done it better for when, when like two thousand nine or whenever it was. Started two thousand ten, yeah. Two thousand ten, really upped updated. The, and like, and there was enough of the movie in it, right? Yeah, but and not they. They definitely yeah. made it very like network television drama with comedic touches. You know, Dax Shepard's character is supposed to be like the Larry, and you can tell that like they started in the same kind of place, but they took it into a, a new direction. They didn't make it so that you know his. Uh, baby mama uh, killed a guy and had to leave the country or anything like that. But they, uh, you know, included her into the storyline. I think her name was Jasmine or something like that. And yeah. And uh, was the kid's name like Jabbar? Jabbar. Yeah. So uh, cool would have been a little too distracting, I think. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought yeah. that was. Yeah. But you've got. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and then Max you have Peter instead of Kevin. Max instead of Kevin and Peter Krause in, the, in kind of the Gill role. Um, who's fantastic, and yeah. uh, Lauren Graham as uh, the Helen character, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I don't well, think because that... she has the son who's a little like at the beginning. He's he's like very he's standoffish and and quiet. And... Mm-hmm. Right, um, and then yeah, then yeah. The daughter who is definitely you know Mae Whitman playing uh, playing the daughter there. Mae Whitman's great, and then you have Erica Christensen as Julia. Who is the Susan-ish? Right, she's you know? the Susan, except I think she's the youngest sibling in that. It, because yeah, of, but it's still I, like it's hard she's the the overachiever, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah, and yeah, and um, and then of course as the uh, matriarch and patriarch, you've got uh, Bonnie Bedelia and Craig T. Nelson, who are fantastic. Um, yeah, it's a really it's a really good way to take the 1989 parenthood and turn it into something more relevant and of its time. And, um, I enjoyed it. It was great. 
Uh, it yeah. wasn't perfect, but it was, you know, it was a really it, solid show. It, it was ended when it needed, needed to, to end. Be. It was yeah. what it needed to be. This one took place in Berkeley, California, and you definitely have, you know, a more wealthy, I think, like foundation for the family. You know, they're off like starting their own like record labels and recording studios and the <laughs> schools you know, and... and and the and Bonnie Bedelia and Craig T. Nelson have this like gigantic piece of property in one of the most expensive parts of the country. So like yeah. it's uh you know it, it's its own thing and it's kind of special. But Dan, I was wondering what what else you would think of doing with parenthood. Okay. So there were so it's updated so you've got the you've got the the series that that kind of modernizes it. So my my two thoughts my 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 first is a sequel. Okay. And like let's let's bring this family back together as much of it as we can. Uh, most of these actors are still working. Yeah. Uh, and the ones who are like some of like some of the kids you know who aren't uh who aren't acting anymore it's it wouldn't be as true like you wouldn't replace steve martin as gil no offense to ed begley jr but right <laughs> you wouldn't bring in ed, ed begley jr for parenthood 2 to play gil uh however you could bring in someone like uh the aforementioned although we didn't say his name tim paltz from uh 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 righteous gemstones as tim paltz yeah uh oh he's so good oh he'd be a great kevin he'd yeah. be a great kevin yeah. He uh, so, so I I first heard about Tim Baltz because he is an improviser who um frequently appears on the podcast Comedy Bang Bang which if anybody listens to comedy podcasts that's probably one that they also listen to and he does these he does a few amazing characters one of them is Randy Snuts who's just like this dirtbag and uh <laughs> who has a uh a duplicitous girlfriend on and off on again, off again, girlfriend, Carissa. And then he also plays this guy who is the owner and proprietor of the bobblehead museum and hall of fame. And he's, he's fantastic. I love Tim Baltz. Anything with Tim Baltz is great. Yeah. And I just think like, you know, just seeing what he's done, you know, I feel like he could definitely play this this role, uh, you know, play a role like that. Well, I, I think physically he, he also just had that look. And I was like, oh, sure. he would look yeah. he would look good like a grown up Kevin. He can act. So, yeah. Um, but I would, I, you know, I don't know what the premise would be. Uh, I, I think th- just having a uh Having a sequel where you bring the family back together, probably not for the first time in all of these years. Unless but, Larry's been missing for, what, 37 uh, years or whatever. I mean, maybe that's why they all come back together. Maybe it's, like, for Larry's funeral. Oh. Maybe, like, <laughs> it's it's all of us, like, maybe... Larry has actually lasted this long because I because t- Tim Hulse I don't think is is acting anymore. Uh, I think he may- mostly you know uh, produces. Uh huh. So I I don't think he would necessarily want to like be a part of it. But um, I you know 
I think bringing them all back in together, it would be interesting to see what happens. Like, did Julie and Todd stay together? Because even though Helen is is trying to keep them together, she still says, I give them six months. <laughs> yeah. So, and which I guess, you know, they probably lasted longer than that. <laughs> Right. Um, or if they are, a, you know, divorced, then they well, don't but, necessarily have to be a troubled oh, family. Right? Oh, no, exactly. But I'm saying, like, let's see where they are in yeah. their in their journey, because you would not do this without Keanu. No, and you would not put Keanu. Or Martha Plimpton. But. Yeah, and you would not put either of them in a situation where they, where either of them are painted to be the bad guy. So they absolutely need to have a very successful and respectful relationship no like like honestly it's kind of like if they're not still together it would just be interesting to see them just like kind of have a like a relationship with their their child or children because who knows sure yeah how like you know they could have stayed together for 20 years it's called parenthood too so there's gotta be they gotta be all be parents I mean, I don't, and I don't know, like, what's the occasion? Is it the, like, is it, is it Larry's funeral? Is it like Could be Frank's funeral? It? Could be Frank. I mean, well, yeah. Portland, uh, I guess, yes. Robards. Well, how many, let's see, 1989. 33 I mean, yeah, years. I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I think, So he'd have been in his late 90s. I mean. There's a lot of reasons that you can bring a family together, but just to kind of, but to kind of show the evolution of a family and how does and i think focusing also on how the times change a family dynamic um you know who's to say that one of uh, that one of these kids didn't grow up and you know discover you know they're you know what if they're you know trans what if you know yeah you know i think and it's because it's not it's not that that there were not transgender people in 1989, but people didn't know, people didn't feel open uh, coming right. out or sharing these feelings or, you know, they they were just as afraid, just as afraid as Kevin is as being in a psychiatrist's office. Yeah. And I mean, of course, things need to be done in a way that doesn't seem to tokenizing or I mean, not no, like no, I'm, no, but I'm just but, I'm just I'm no, but I'm also saying like, you know, it's. De- and especially depending on where you are in America, um, way more acceptable to be gender non-binary. There's just so many different ways that people are, you know, discovering who they are that uh, can be explored. And this is exactly the type of program or movie that would, and- that would do that. By the and way, honestly, my puppy's face is right against the microphone right now, and I'm just trying to keep him under control, but he's... Just like, oh, what's this now? Well, and honestly, if you could keep, if you do keep the, if you keep the setting in Missouri and you still have everyone living in Missouri, that could, that would be a storyline is how does, you know, how does a parent support a child who's experienced? Because Missouri is not the most uh, friendly, uh, you know, state to live in if, if you're uh, BIPOC, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I would say, you know, it's just that's the way it is these days. So if you ha- if you keep it set in Missouri and saying like, you know, what are what are the challenges? Like we saw the challenges that a kid with anxiety, you know, someone like Kevin is facing. Then what are the challenges now? Like imagine Kevin, if there was like cell phones and social media. Uh huh. Like that would a kid with anxiety and then all of that shit. So much worse. Yeah. So what would you do? Well, I feel like, um, 
I mean, I do feel like there's been enough of reviving the property as some sort of audiovisual type of thing. And I was thinking that what could be done is to update the board game life and make it, you know, a little bit more, it doesn't have to be Parenthood the movie themed, but, you know, update it with more of the things that people deal with in their actual real lives. And maybe it could include some things from the Parenthood movie where it's just like, uh-oh, your kid's retainer got thrown away at the restaurant. Like, you owe $200, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. things like that where it's just like, you know, these these extremely, like, real-life situations that... um that are Your kid made the game-winning catch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you gain um, uh, uh, well, butrin points. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get to take a day off from your Zoloft. <laughs> yeah, uh, you you get the Calm app for free with work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that there's just like a really fun way to incorporate it into some sort of you know game and i know that there's that game life that you know does this in a very basic way but it's like you could really amp it up and like update it with some real life situations that you know feel very much of of this time have you ever played the game i've never i don't think i've ever played that game. i've played it a handful of times i mean it's been a minute but it's you know it's very base level stuff but also it's all it's like you know, it's like about going to work and blah, 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 blah. It's propaganda for, you know, <laughs> for uh, uh, capitalism, basically. But oh, 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 OK. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, all right. I guess that works. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's what I got. Um, I'm sure that I speak for the both of us when I say that we'd love to hear everybody's thoughts about parenthood or any of the other movies that we've talked about by emailing us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. You can check out all of our social media links, including our uh, our Tee Public store, where you can get yourself a written by Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans, uh, whatever you want it to be. They, that You can get on a number of things. I have a notebook with that yeah. on it, and I actually, I used it in, in the, when we went to the hospital when my son was born, and I needed... Uh, my handy dandy notebook to you know just jot, jot some things down. I that was the notebook I took, and that was intentional. Yeah. So there's a uh, a link tree in the episode's description. So check that out. And um, yeah, it's, uh, that's the T Public Store is a great way to support us and get some cool swag. So uh, Dan, do you want to tell people what we're doing on our next episode? No, I, I'm just kidding. Of course I do. Uh, I uh, so on our next episode, we are continuing to look at movies that study family dynamics and kind of narrowing the focus a bit to to one um, uh, family uh, in 2006's Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I don't think I've seen um, it since 2006. I feel like I might have like caught it once uh 
since seeing it in the theater, mm-hmm. but no, uh, gr- you know, great movie. Al- Alan Arkin, uh, I believe, won, won an Academy Award oh, okay. for this. Uh, Alan Arkin, uh, Greg Kinnear, Tony Collette, Paul Dano, and uh, oh, Abigail, Gal- Breslin. Abigail, Bre- Abigail Breslin. Abigail yeah, Breslin. Of course. Yes. And uh, I got to say, this is a really fun one because uh, oh, Steve Carell and Steve, Steve Carell as well. Yeah. And, but you can what's what's interesting about uh, about this movie is that right now, because of the Batman, a new generation of people are discovering Paul Dano and uh, they're just like did you know he did this and this and this and was then this and stuff? And it's like, yeah, he's been doing stuff for a long time. Is Love so, and Mercy going to finally find an audience? People have been finding Love and Mercy. I'm not kidding Thank you. God, that's such a good movie. Gen Z has discovered Love and Mercy, Dan. It's happened. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, because he's so good. I mean, he's, he's so a good great in everything. Brian in everything. I watched There Will Be Blood again recently. Oh, and He's, he's amazing in that. in that. Anyway, um, look forward to talking about about him and and all the other wonderful uh, performances in in this movie. Yeah, well, Dan, as you are zipping down the highway with Mary Steenburgen in the van, just the two of you. As I'm sliding into first, and my shorts are gonna no, burst. you're missing you're missing what I'm referencing here. When you're feeling oh, very anxious yes, and tense, right. I uh, got I, ahead of myself. Okay, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. I was born to make you happy I think you're just my style Everywhere I go Telling everyone I know Baby, I love to see you smile 